Master Hakuin's chant and praise of Zazen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths that lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and pass clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land. And this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is the 3rd of October 2021 and this is our talk for our two-day uh, online urban retreat and um, we're going to talk today focus mainly on pride or ar arrogance. Um, this, this topic came up on Tuesday night uh, when we were talking about um, how to engage with someone we strongly disagree with, specifically we were just touching on um, the issue of to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. And um, if we really want to engage with somebody that we disagree with, um, how do we do that without disconnecting, falling into the dualism of self and other? It's really easy to get up, get caught up in attachment to a view uh, when we feel strongly about something. And there's, there's always an element in that, that view, when we attach to it, um, an element of self-view. 
the I, the me and the mine and, and often connected to it is our, our need to be right. And when, when fear is involved, which it certainly is around, around the pandemic one way or another, um, then that, that need to be right might be quite strong in, in terms of a way of defending ourselves or, or shoring ourselves up when we're feeling pretty shaky and vulnerable. I think we're particularly prone to, to arrogance and pride when uh, we have a sharp mind, if we're intelligent, knowledgeable, um, then it's, it's easy, easy to fall into an arrogance. And not only around knowledge, if we're trying to live an ethical life, a virtuous life, then that can also give rise, rise to pride. The great uh, Tibetan master Patril Rinpoche said, pride is a ghost that secretly follows our good deeds. Pride is a ghost that secretly follows our good deeds. And, and follows them and kind of, um, to some degree, uh, undermines them. In the, uh, in the koans, uh, there are quite a few um, cases um, in which there are arrogant monks or disciples. And uh, what, the, what the story usually reveals is that um, their attitude means that there's no room for discovery in them, in their minds. There's, no, there's not an openness there that would allow for um, a kind of an aha moment. The mind is relatively closed. So there's something we can we can watch out for in ourselves uh, when our when our mind is 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 closing down. That's that's a flag that we may be experiencing arrogance. I was talking to somebody in Dogsan about a little bit about the pandemic, and um, I was saying that I was seeing it as a kind of dress rehearsal for what we're going to have to go through as human beings around climate change. We've seen just lately the cracks starting to appear here in New Zealand and in our concerted effort, um, things like the um, protests that Brian Tamaki just held um, a couple of days ago. Or was it yesterday? Time, time passes quickly. Um, but we're, what we're being faced with um, as human beings is these 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 problems that we've created ourselves to some extent, some extent with both, or a lot of extent with climate change, and the problems that can only be solved collectively. They're collectively um, sort of created or perpetuated and have to involve massive levels of, of cooperation in order to be to be resolved. So in a sense 
we all urgently need to learn how to cooperate, how to work together. Um, and uh, as a part of that, insight is important in the sense of being able to recognize our own arrogance and, and drop it as much as we can if we are relating to others. But the, the, we sort of start, we start with, the, with the, the inner work in this regard. And um, what I'd like to do is read um, some, some passages and comment on them from a book called uh, Light Comes Through by, um, we've come across this Tibetan teacher before, Zika Kongfro Rinpoche. And um, in it, he, he looks into um, arrogance, and we're going to just read some from the, this chapter that he has on arrogance. And he treats arrogance here as one of uh, five self-centered emotions. Uh, he calls them the, um, the, the, the five self-centered emotions. And the other ones, besides arrogance, there are um, uh, jealousy, aversion, attachment, and stupidity. Uh, we won't have time in this show to go into all of those, uh, but they're, they're, um, it's useful to be able to really recognize them in ourselves and release them as much as we can. Um, some people may be aware of a, um, a Theravadan list called the Five Hindrances, and uh, this is a, diff it's a different collection, though there's quite a bit of crossover, the Theravadan five hindrances are sloth, restlessness, anger, doubt, and sense desire, desire for sensory stimulation. So anyway, let's have a look at what um, Contra Rinpoche has to say and uh, start by reading a little bit from his introduction which gives some of the, the sense of the rationale or why we might, might start with, with recognizing these, these five self-centered uh, emotions. So he says, anything and everything can arise in the mind. This is either good news or not such good news, depending on how we look at it. On one hand, it means anything and everything is possible. On the other hand, if we possess no understanding of mind and how it works, we will be, as the traditional example describes, like someone without limbs trying to ride a wild, blind horse. We will not be able to rein in the mind, and so the mind will never serve us. It will never take us where we want to go. There's a very real way in which we could say that um, again and again and again we are our own worst enemy. I think many people in in this um, longer lockdown here in Auckland, at least, have um, come up, up against this. To that, wherever we go, our unruly mind goes with us. Our pain-producing habits go with us, and there's no there's no way we can run away from them. What happens in lockdown, I guess, is that the ways and many of the usual ways in which we can um, distract ourselves 
are, are not available to us and so we can we can can be very painful and we can feel very trapped by these things thank goodness for the practice now just think back yourself reflect on on the struggle you had struggles you have had at times um, in this lockdown and just then imagine what it would be like to have to deal with those sorts of struggles without a practice without having some sense of how to 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 um, work with the mind skillfully he continues the Buddhist teachings address the mind how it functions and how we can shape the mind so that it can serve us if we don't learn how to shape the mind the mind will continue to shape itself Rather than training in wisdom, it will train and habituate itself against our will, our intentions, our better judgments. It will do as it fancies. We already know how much we suffer from our habits. It is amazing how resilient we are as human beings. We suffer over and over again, but just keep on going. I think he may have in mind um, a quote from uh, Shantideva in the way of the Bodhisattva who says, those desiring to escape from suffering hasten right towards suffering. With the very desire for happiness out of delusion, they destroy their own happiness as, as if it were an enemy. This this is the human condition. This is what we... we um, all do to some degree or another. As he says, we suffer over and over and just keep going. And and we find our habits in operation against our will. We have these these different conflicting sort of um, streams within us in our minds and it's 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 very painful to see how how even if we want to go in a certain direction we end we end up not going that way this is why why our practice is so important to begin to um, See how it, how we 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 fall prey to our habits, and then work to um, redirect our mind's energy to change to change the neural pathways. Control continues. In order to shape the mind to make it work for us, we need to rely on an aspect of mind itself. In other words, we don't have to bring something in from outside, uh, but actually start right where we are. This is this is a, a teaching that we we need to remind ourselves of constantly. So he says we have to um, rely on an aspect of mind itself, an aspect we can call our natural intelligence. We may sometimes wonder where to find our natural intelligence. 
but if we even or if we even have any at all. But the fact is, in ordinary, everyday ways, we utilize our natural intelligence all of the time. Without it, we would lack the ability to make basic decisions or to discriminate between things that will help or hinder us. We rely on it while rummaging through our closets in the morning, looking for the perfect thing to wear. Or there's the example that uh, Master Banke gives of this. Um, Master Banke was the Japanese teacher who taught the unborn Buddha mind. And uh, he would use as, a, as proof of our functioning unborn Buddha mind the way in which in a crowded marketplace uh, people going in both directions through the markets are able to um, not bang into anybody but to move in order to um, allow the passage of the people coming towards us from the other direction. That's our unborn Buddha mind. Our, or or uh, a hand reaching out and picking up a cup or blowing our nose. There it is, our unborn Buddha mind, our natural intelligence. Control says, natural intelligence weighs all the pros and cons. It organizes and analyzes. It has the capacity to see the interdependent connection of various elements and how they function together and it searches for happiness and meaning, even if it sometimes can't find them. Without this essential tool, it is doubtful we would get anything done at all, and any notion of enlightenment most certainly would be out of the question. The Buddha Dharma harnesses the power of natural intelligence in a unique way. As we encounter mind's raw, unprocessed conceptual activity, the teachings encourage us to utilize our natural intelligence to look dispassionately at, dispassionately at mind and emotions and sort through our confusion and ignorance. In this way, we uncover our innate wisdom and clarity. The Buddhist teachings affirm this natural gift and also challenge us. Look, see if it isn't true. Everything we need to move forward is right here. So there are there are say there are different sort of layers of our, nat our natural intelligence working, just the 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 intelligence that is required just to apprehend objects in our environment, for instance, and then also to make connections between things, which is what Kongtrul um, Rinpoche here is talking about: our ability to discern and see patterns. And this is, this is very important in terms of us uh, having some um, awareness, self-awareness of our um, habitual ways of thinking and, and feeling and acting. Okay, now um, we'll turn to the, the chapter in this um, Book. I'm not, I don't remember if I mentioned the title, it's called Light Comes Through, Buddha's Teachings on Awakening to Our Natural Intelligence. And the chapter that we're um, going to read from is called Entering the Circle of Dogs, 
a case against arrogance. Arrogance comes from the belief that we possess special attributes and that these attributes must make us, make us extraordinary in some way. We may feel proud of our attractive physical appearance, the sharpness of our intellect, or a position of power we hold. We may, may possess something unique, a great deal of wealth that stands apart from others, that stands us apart from others. Or we may have a lot of charisma or a cool demeanor that projects an outward confidence, so that while others neuroti neurotically stumble around, we are able to hold it all together. We stand at the back of the room, looking at the whole scenario, thinking, just look at them. This makes us feel special. Certainly these attributes can have their own worldly significance, and we can enjoy and appreciate them. But when we give them a special significance, simply due to our ownership of them, we fall under the influence of our own conceit. We feel that they completely represent who we are and what we deserve, and we start to feel like there is no one like us, that we are peerless. Special. Different. And this is the this is a tendency that that comes to us um, really from from the fundamental delusion that we have, and that is is um, that we experience ourselves as a self that is is separate and and in some way more important than the others around us. This, this uh, self-partiality, self-there's um, there's another term for it, but it's not, just not coming to mind. Um, it'll come back to me. Somebody recently put me on to a, um, a, a spiritual teacher, uh, Richard Rohr, um, a, a Franciscan priest, um, who, one of his teachings, he, he uh, talks about how he sees many adults in our culture going through life uh, still thinking like children. And... Um, and, and because of this, because of being children inside adult bodies, they cause all kinds of strife and harm, and even lives. And Roa sets out five understandings or realizations that um, mark the difference between being an adult and a child. And um, the, the five that he set out are... These are the, the realizations that make us adults. You're going to die. Life is hard. You're not that important. Your life is not about you. You can never control the outcomes. 
but just one, once again, you're going to die, life is hard. You're not that important. Your life is not about you. You can never control the outcomes. I think all of these, to realize each of these is, are in, in one way or another antidotes to pride and arrogance. The one that, that, that sticks out perhaps the most here um, is we're not that important. This could actually be a relief to realize this. We, we may then not have such grandiose expectations about what we can achieve and, and then feel disappointed when we don't achieve it. I'm picking these out of a book called Fully Human by Steve Budolph and he comments on this one, this you're not that important, by saying, realizing your ordinariness does not take away your uniqueness. It just imposes a needed humility. It's odd that in the most dehumanizing conformist culture that has ever been on earth, he's talking about our culture, especially for teens, we are seduced with messages of our specialness. Selfies, anyone? We matter profoundly since we are part of the chain of life and can both protect it and add to it. But we do this best by humbly looking for those gaps where we can take our part, appreciating all the efforts of others that have made our life possible. To, to, to realize that what we, we're called on to do is to play our part, to play our part, and then we, we um, then we're joining with, with all the others who are playing their parts. That's where the power is, in that joining with. Our part may be quite small, but to do it heartedly to to engage in it with with our whole being um, I mentioned at the at the start of this this sitting this um, Japanese verb which is um, so helpful for us in our practice narikiru to become one with or turn completely into something Back to Kongshou uh, Rinpoche. Being peerless has its problems. We cannot maintain our high status on our own. We need others to agree. It takes a lot of affirmation to consistently be the best, and we never know how others will respond. This brings up a lot of insecurities for, for us. Is what I cherish really so worthy? What will others think? Do I really measure up? What if so-and-so doesn't think so? And even, even when we momentarily get the praise that we seek, it lasts just for a flash. And we, we see how our desire for affirmation and attention and 
and uh, admiration. It's bottomless. It's an endless blind passion. It doesn't how much matter how much we pour into that black hole. It'll never be filled up. Even as our show gets stronger and more seamless on the outside and we feel kind of high, inside we get weaker and less sure that our attributes are as worthy as we initially imagined. Arrogance requires us to keep up false appearances and with all the insecurities that we harbour underneath, this takes a lot of discipline and determination. All the qualities that we cherish just become something to manage, a self-imposed burden. Sometimes they provide us with a fragile sense of self-confidence. Other times we feel apologetic or self-conscious of them, wishing we didn't possess them at all. If someone compliments us, rather than simply thanking you or saying thank you, we try to deflect it by putting ourselves down. Of course, this only draws more attention to us and is entirely self-focused. We may do this because we secretly believe ourselves to, to um, be worthless and the, compl the compliments are, uh, however much admiration we get, we um, still have this inner sense of, of worthlessness. And we put so much effort and energy into maintaining a, our a facade of, of, of confidence and, and uh, capability, often. He continues, this may all seem pretty gross. We've, we might think none of this sounds like me, but as long as we have a sense of me, we will definitely find ourselves searching for some identity or another. For something to make me, me. Something to make mine, mine. We may just want to be liked and can't understand why somebody, someone won't respond. Don't they notice how likeable I am? How interesting I am? Or well, sometimes we might try to promote ourselves through broadcasting our views. When others disagree or when they simply try to contribute to the conversation, we stop listening because we think we know already. Sometimes we, we may ask one token question just to show that we're listening, although we already think we know the answer. There's a lot of output but not much coming in because we, who needs to listen if we're already perfect? You may think that you possess one of, none of those tendencies. If, if so, you might just want to take another look. Um, the text that we were reading from on Tuesday, um, it was a part that I didn't get to. I think I did read it to some of the people who came back to the uh, tea afterwards. But it's a description, um, uh, quite a skillful description of what it feels like to be on the other end of um, somebody who's arrogant. In other words, the the subjective experience of, 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 of someone's arrogance. And this is, this, is this is in the context of people 
getting into arguments over to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. And this is from from uh, a Lachelle Low Chard, um, How to Connect with What Matters. She says, the particular issue of the coronavirus and the viruses that will follow perhaps presents more challenges than ever before, as it poses a real and immediate threat to life for so many. It might require every ounce of skill and groundedness to engage with another who wants to convince you that you have taken the wrong position on the vaccine. You might experience the following scenario. You do your best to offer empathy and curiosity and at the same time you notice that the other person is making assumptions about what you know or don't know and about choices you make. To you, it seems like you are being talked at rather than talked with, that they are ranting at you. You might try to speak up, but they talk louder and faster and don't seem to notice that you would like to participate. You start to feel disconnected and a bit irritated because you would like mutuality and consideration. Perhaps you escalate to anger or perhaps you collapse in hopelessness about being heard and withdraw from the other person and your own heart. Obviously, if somebody is experiencing a conversation in, the, in this way, then they're not in any position to hear what you might want to have them hear if you're concerned about them having taken um, a mistaken position. Really, um, any time we're going to try to give people some feedback about their behavior or if you're concerned about a view that they have that you feel is wrong, then a sort of fundamental aspect of that is that um, you do it in a way that can be heard. Because if you can't, then you might as well not do it. So it's it's it demands it demands that we to to engage with somebody in a discussion of this kind demands that we also work on ourselves. That's that's fundamental. Next section of the, this um, chapter is, is entitled Falling Down. According to Buddhist cosmology, pride is related to the worldly god realms, the, what we would call the deva realms. Um, heavenly, these are heavenly states, um, unaligned states of existence. The gods have pride in their attributes of beauty and wealth. Because they find so much satisfaction in their existence, they have little renunciation or even awareness of suffering. They live long lives full of sensory enjoyments and leisure. But at the end of their lives, their beauty starts to fade and the flower garlands that adorn their bodies begin to rot. None of their beloved friends will come near them because it reminds them of their own mortality. After death, rejected and despondent, they immediately fall into the lower realms. So we can undertake and uh, understand this as a kind as a cosmology, but we can also understand it, of course, as um, psychology of, for instance, the, the extremely wealthy 
within this world. Arrogant mind is terrified of loss, terrified of falling down and being exposed as ordinary. Well, one of the ways this can manifest is, is, is um, imposter syndrome, where one is, um, feels like one is an imposter in, in one's position or um, job, perhaps, and is uh, terrified at being exposed and found out to be not what what that person thinks they should be. Someone may discover that we are not actually as special, unique, magnificent, incredible, intelligent, or deep as we led on, or spiritual as we led on, we might hear put here. We may fall from supermodel stardom, the top of the heap, from the status of being the most handsome and powerful. Someone may catch a glimpse of our neurotic mind and learn that we are not actually enlightened after all. Even if we believe we have indisputable intelligence, creativity or beauty, someone else's contrary opinion can knock us right off our pedestal. And surely this has only been magnified in, in recent years by um, the power of social media, not to mention um, celebrity so-called journalism. When we are the king and queen of beauty, good ideas, intelligence, or even spirituality, we can't bear the thought of anyone becoming equal to us, or even worse, stealing our crown. Of course, the minute we think like this, all the good qualities drain out of our mind. Any kind of admiration or appreciation for anything other than me and mine dissolves. Anything in the world worthy of honour, we are unable to honour. This is so. This is the diametrically opposite to the um, quality of mudita, the third of the three four Brahmi Viharas, of um, being able to reduce, rejoice in the good fortune of others. It's very. It's a very simple thing, and yet very hard for us. I once heard um, Lama. A Lama from um, DCI, Lama Yeshe, no, Yalama Tsopa, I forget which of those two, but he was asked, what can I do to make my, old, my elderly parents happy? And he said, get them to rejoice in others' happiness. Because there's always, wherever we look, we can always find happiness in others. There's, there's always somebody who'll be happy. And so we have many more chances to do this, to rejoice in this, than, than for instance, if we um, focus on our own unhappiness. Certainly there are, lots more, there are lots more causes for our own happiness. But what we often get into is the opposite, as Kongchul Rinpoche um, describes here. We find ourselves denigrating everything defiling everything, critically judging error for everything, and making everything that is good for others insignificant. In this way, arrogance isolates. When we see others as a threat, we stop reaching out and we can't ask for help because it makes us look weak. We are unable to mix with people in a decent way, in a common or ordinary way. 
We simply don't want to walk on the same ground as others. So we can, maybe we can um, make effort to um, notice when we're being mean-spirited, when we're um, uh, seeing only the worst in, in others, and and realize that it's it's um, it's painful. It's not helpful. The arrogant mind never stops searching for identity, and this identity always defines itself through attributes. The beautiful one, the smart one, the creative one, the successful one. Sometimes we take this further by creating a more elaborate persona. The rebel, the maverick, the suffering artist, the fearless leader. So it doesn't have to be um, a, a positive identity. Um, in, it can be, um, or different, I guess, criminal identities, which are still refuges from the sense of, of, of powerlessness that we feel in, in the face of reality sometimes. Regardless of whether we're having a good day or a low self-esteem day, the point is we haven't found a way to relax, to be natural and unselfconscious. We don't know how to take our seat in ordinariness and feel comfortable in our own skin. We're always searching for something to be. It's like having an ongoing identity crisis. In, in the sutras, they talk about a, a way that we attach to signs, in other words, to labels. We've, we've, we take refuge behind the label. And many koans bring us back to ordinariness. No need for, for uh, labels that we have to, who, to um, retreat behind. We're um, running out of time. Um, just um, skip around here a little bit. He says, when we recognize the source of our attributes, they become less personal and we can enjoy them. Rather than defining who we are, they can serve the function of enriching our lives as well as others. Appreciation unleashes all the inherent positive qualities of mind. Appreciating others has a unifying effect and brings us out of our isolation. When we appreciate others' significant qualities with a clear mind, it is as if we had lassoed these qualities with our recognition and pulled them closer to us, 
so that they enrich our mind as well. This kind of appreciation is associated with humility. Humility is an attractive quality, one universally cherished. It affects our mind, our speech, and it beautifies our physical appearance too. Gratitude is another way of, of um, talking about this appreciation. Um, think of something that, that Albert Einstein said. A hundred times every day, I remind myself that my inner and outer life depends on the labours of other men, living and dead, and that I must exert myself in order to give in, and I must exert myself, exert myself in order to give in the measure as I have received and am still receiving. The sense of being, of, of, of standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and, and living up to their um, generosity to us. Contra Rinpoche goes on to talk about how in, in the old days, and I guess he's meaning in Tibet, someone might have complained, I'm so-and-so from such and place, such and such a place, from the such and such clan. Then he says, nowadays nobody cares. Modern society puts much more emphasis on credentials and encourages us to accumulate them. Uh, I think particularly here of uh, in New Zealand of what we are learning as Pākehā from Te Ao Māori in terms of whakapapa. Whakapapa is exactly this, knowing where we've come from and where and therefore where we're going. Uh, knowing where, what place we're from, what clan or clans we're from. And it's, it is in fact actually opening us, it's not self-centered or uh, just narrow kind of identity politics, but actually opening ourselves up to a greater self, the self of, of uh, inheritance and uh, discipleship in our case in Zen. Now, uh, just finally, the, the last bit of the of this chapter, which um, talks about entering the circle of dogs. And again, see, um, Dongsa Rinpoche Kraut can, quotes Patrol Rinpoche, the low seat is the high seat, the noble seat. Why is this? The answer, because there's nowhere to fall. The low seat is the noble seat because it grounds us in ordinariness and humility. It's interesting, Master Sheng Yin uh, somewhere talks about humility and he says that humility gives rise to confidence because if we know ourselves thoroughly, then we won't be thrown by other people's opinions and we won't fall into situations where we're, we're out of our depths. We'll experience, experience our own measure in some sense. The low seat is the noble seat because it grounds us in ordinariness and humility. 
It protects us from our own insecurities and comparing mind. Of course, in society at times we may need to take a position of authority or leadership. We may need to sit at the head of the table or even on a throne. But as long as we remain humble, we can't fail. The Kandampas thought, is taught, leave the human circle and enter the circle of dogs. Then you will attain the divine state. This means that we live amongst humans. When we live amongst humans, we have to operate from human values. This often entails trying to become a unique and special person. We have to accumulate the credentials valued in the human world and so are bound to compare ourselves with others and use them as a barometer for our successes and failures. Conventional values, in other words. But if we leave the league of humans and enter the realm of dogs, non-significance, uh, we have to put this in historical context, where dogs might be seen as significance now by many people. <laughs> but we can go back to, to, to Tibet or to ancient China as well, where with dog, Joshua's, um, does even a dog have the Buddha nature? This was, was, was at a time when dogs were looked, looked down on as non-significance. We enter a divine state free of pride and comparing. We enter the place from which there is nowhere to fall, the lowest seat. It is a humble place to take a seat. It is a place where all negative emotions subside. It is a place of humility and ordinariness. We can rest like an old dog and with have no need for confirmation and no fear of opposition. All is like space. I think also with dogs is they're um, acting out of love for those around them. This also will be an antidote to pride. Just doesn't enter into the picture. The focus is on the one being helped. The focus is, the focus is on finding our place and playing our part. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain 
All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.